Hello and welcome to ZeroNet50. I'm Jennifer Deloney and with me as always and always at a distance is Joel Strandberg. How's it going in Washington, Joel? Oh, it's going like the rest of the country at the moment. Um, <laughs> Probably, yes. <laughs> yeah, um, and it, uh, uh, it's, sad, it's sad to see the civil unrest, but uh, yeah. uh, it, it is happening and it's a sign of the times, I think. So yeah. um, we'll hope for the best over the next few months. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I thought I'd start out today with, you know, something that happened in Washington where we saw an interesting, also predictable dynamic play out in the White House with an accusation that banks are discriminating against energy companies. And, you know, I just had a really good laugh over that because, uh, you know, once it looks like, oh, we're discriminating against the banks or the co energy companies that we favor, then it becomes an issue. Um, I mean, we've seen banks on a global scale instituting policies against carbon investments for a while. I mean, it's been going on for years. Uh, World Bank Group started that in 2017 and said at the end of last year, it would not finance exploration for or production of oil and gas. Uh, and that's just the tip of the iceberg in terms of banks. Um, so the fact that Trump would take a stance against any policy making of that sort from banks in the US markets is of course not a surprise. He said he thinks his administration should be looking into that. Uh, and it just seems like that's like a day late and a dollar short as far as I'm concerned. I mean, we can look into the actual performance of energy investments and how investments are playing out between renewables and the oil and gas sector to see why it's futile to swim against the tide of anyone favoring renewables investments over fossils. Um, we just saw a report come out from the International Energy Agency in cooperation with uh, Imperial College London and it addressed this very specific and important dynamic between fossils and renewables in the investment uh, community. According to the report, there was a shift in how energy investments performed in the markets after the price of oil dropped uh, in 2014, that very significant drop, it basically just fell off between November and December that year. Uh, oil and gas didn't perform so well in the years following and, and renewables has improved. From 2015 onward, the renewable sectors uh, benefited from the reduced cost of technology as well as steady tax credits and power purchase agreement availability uh, and long-term volatility was really reduced by strong clean energy and renewable portfolio standards. And those are factors that have been the boon of renewables for a long time. And it's now that we see what the results of, of those benefits are. And the report from the IEA explains uh, that there's been even further decline in the oil and gas sector during the pandemic. Uh, and there is a clear cross industry investment opportunity and, and the interest in that opportunity is great. Renewables investments have remained strong in their returns during the pandemic, uh, according to the report, but in oil and gas, it's not so much. So we see this flip-flop and, and it used to be oil and gas had really strong returns, but renewables was you know, not even coming close, but now they've surpassed oil and gas, which is a huge change. Uh, investors 
and their interest in oil and gas, where they've seen traditionally strong returns, is going to wane as a result of that very naturally, just as the way investors work, uh, especially as the option to invest in a strong earner, which is renewables, is now sitting there readily available. So, you know, it's a really fascinating and quick turnaround and a, a strange dynamic for the market. But of course, there's always the, you know, here's the caution to all of the good news, which is the report um, says that large asset managers basically can't jump into the renewables market right now because it's a small cap and low liquidity market. Um, and those large asset managers need the ops of that to justify any investment. Uh, so that's, you know, something that has to grow over time in order for, you know, those big investors to jump in. And also the renewables market doesn't have much depth and is unfortunately lacking transparency. So the IEA said that it's going to look more into that transparency issue for an upcoming report. So I'm personally looking forward to what they have to say about that. But mostly the report has this conclusion that many in the industry for, in, for energy uh, have been pointing to for a couple of years now, the fossil fuel supply chain is really well established. And, and it holds many crossovers to renewables. Those entities with the foresight to diversify from fossil, because they have that supply chain to green energy, they're, they're gonna do really well. And we've been watching this play out nicely in offshore wind, for example, and, and specifically in those crossovers to support the US uh, market, because it just wasn't there before. Uh, the more vision that companies like those that got into offshore wind have for that kind of investment, the better chance they'll have of surviving this very clear downturn for fossils. So, you know, no matter how much Trump doesn't like it, it's, it's happening all on its own. And looking into it right now is not going to change what's been coming down the line for the better part of a decade. But, you know, we, we have to look at those circumstances all together and say, you know, here's what's happening in oil, here's what's happening in renewables, you know, here's, you know, the the good news and the bad news for renewables. But, you know, I think that that's a message that maybe we should be taking forward uh, across the board. And, and I know you have some thoughts about that. Well, I do, Jennifer. I mean, I think that uh, the pandemic has actually uh, created a, 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 a an atmosphere of transparency um, as far as the strength of the oil and gas sector, the coal sector as well. Um, I think the, the, you're right. I mean, big um, investment uh, brokers are not going into renewables, but the important thing is that they're leaving the fossil fuels. I mean, and I mean, both Wall Street and Main Street I mean, have, have really declared the, the fossil fuel sector is a, is a dead industry walking, if you will. Um, one of the things that's happened because of the pandemic and both the pandemic because of the economic lockdowns, but also because of the uh, price war between Saudi Arabia and Russia is uh, the, the rapid um, deterioration of the oil sale companies. And what's, hap I mean, what's happened is that most of them um, have actually uh, will, have either gone out of business or about to go out of business through bankruptcy. Uh, one of the other telling signs, I think, notwithstanding the fact that um, the Trump administration was was trying to get them 
to shame the banks or something into supporting investments in the Arctic in, in particular, um, mm -hmm. th that they just aren't going to touch. I mean, there's nothing that the, the, the federal government can do that's going to make those investments um, attractive to, uh, to the big banks, um, to any bank, actually. Um, but the fact of the matter is that, the, I mean, these, these, these oil shale companies have been so leveraged mm -hmm. um, and so much in debt um, that when the when the uh, price of oil actually became a negative, I mean, people had to take their 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 futures and buy the oil, um, but to pay to pay somebody else to store it for them. And I mean, that, that's where the negative came in. And at one point, I mean, a barrel of oil cost less than a large pizza. Um, right. And and so what was happening is that these these highly leveraged um, shale people just just are going out of business period and you're right i mean the the, the oil majors not all of them but uh, shell and bp and chevron um are all making announcements these days that you know by 2050 they want to be net zero uh, emitters mm -hmm. they're i mean which is a great sign i mean don't don't get me wrong it's, I mean, it's very positive although i think that it's going to bear watching that um there's 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 what's known as greenwashing um, where you can become a net zero emitter, but that doesn't mean that you stopped using or stop producing fossil fuels. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that I mean, how they get to net zero um, is going to be important as well. But but it's a, it's a hugely positive sign that um, that the private sector is actually coming to bear on this. I think the other positive in this, and one of the reasons that the administration knows that it couldn't really do anything about the um, fossil fuel sector is the, the, a lot of the, the, the American Petroleum Institute, which is basically the big guys, right? Um, we're telling Congress that they don't want bailouts and mm -hmm. they, shouldn't, they shouldn't be bailing out um, the fossil fuel sector. And, and they didn't. I mean, the thing is that the only, the only assistance that the oil companies were able to get um, is gonna be through loans because of the uh, Federal Reserve. And, and even still, I mean, they've got, you know, you know bankrupt companies are going to have trouble getting financing no matter who um, is the source of that credit. So that, and that all becomes a very positive um, sort of thing. I think the other thing that's happened throughout this is that there, there's no question that the, the economic lockdowns, um, like I said, the oil, the oil and gas sector have been particularly impacted because of, because of the pandemic and because of the price for it. And that's not going to change for at least 15 to 16 months, I don't think. I think they, they, they're, what they're talking about is there's so much oil being stored that, I mean, to really work down those supplies in, in a place where uh, demand and supply kind of creates a, a much higher um, price is, is still months and months off. And so we're going to see more shakeouts um, because of that. Now, because of the lockdowns, not only in the United States, but in Europe as well, um, I mean, the economies have come to a, I mean, a screeching halt. Now, all of the energy sector, and that includes renewables, um, has been badly impacted about it. Uh, again, a positive on this is that, that renewables actually are now outproducing coal in the United States as far as um, the source of electricity. The bad news is that, I mean, up to 50% of, of the jobs um, in the renewables sector, I mean, have stopped. I mean, the, the, the oil and gas sector is, is getting similar kind of reductions in, in force. Now, whether all those jobs will be 
back after the pandemic is, is just a major question. But the but the, the the prognosticators, if you will, are saying it's renewables are going to come out of this much better. That um, you know, yes, I mean there are layoffs of up to half of um, you know of all workers in the renewable uh, sector, but those jobs will come back. Not so much in the oil and gas sector. Um, the other thing that's being talked about, for example, is that by comparison, you know, electric vehicle production is down something like 18%, the demand is. But the demand for um, conventionally fueled uh, vehicles is down even worse. So, I mean, in a comparative sense, renewables are actually performing better, um, although not well, just better in relationship right. to the oil and gas. Mm -hmm. um, now, does this translate into policy possibly um and I, but i think that it's a, it is a positive sign and if i were to describe what's going on these days in the in the climate related sector of renewables and, and efficiency um in sustainability i would say that charles dickens had it right that these were the best of times and they were the worst of times they were the um you know the, it was the age of wisdom and the age of foolishness um, and the epic of belief and the epic of incredulity. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we're seeing that in the pandemic. I mean, what's happening is that uh, one of the things that, that particularly, uh, it, it both saddens me and, 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 and makes me extremely curious, is the fact that science is really front and center in the pandemic. And um, in the beginning stages of this, there was a lot of, there was a lot of talk about, well, the scientists are right. I mean, initially, the, the, the Trump administration wouldn't even let the scientists talk. And then everybody said, you know, you can't do this just by whim. I mean, if, you know, if the scientists say this is going to happen, then we've got to be able to do something about it. Well, and, and so Fauci and, and Burke were able to be pushed out in front. And it was a tough balancing act on their part. What's happening now, and, and what's happening now is that Science is once again partisan. Um, now, I believe that there are fewer partisans who dismiss science, but the fact of the matter is that the Trump administration is is playing this game where where they're dismissing. I mean, Trump is now openly um, suggesting that that the scientists can't really rule the policy, which which in a sense is pretty absurd when you think about the fact that. I mean, what are they talking about? I mean, they're talking about things that are actually happening. I mean, here's a pandemic. There's something that we can't, we can't, we don't have a, a vaccine for, we don't have cures for, and it's happening. How do you deny what's happening? Well, some people still continue to deny that. Now, how will science come out of the pandemic period and does it get translated into climate change? I think it does, um, at least to the, to the extent that of the 30 or 35 percent of the people that support Trump and believe whatever comes out of his mouth about bleach or, or you know, disinfecting people or, or windmills causing cancer, uh, that number is going to go down to 25 percent. Well, you know, the 10 percent difference makes a huge difference come election time. Right. Um, and this is what we're dealing with. I mean, again, this is the, the best of times and the worst of times. The Democrats, for example, tried to put in some energy-related, climate-related energy um, provisions in the the major in the CARES Act. Um, you know, that was the that was the act that um, that sent uh, checks to everybody and and 
um, $2.2 trillion worth of checks. They were rebuffed by the Republicans. And when push came to shove, it was more important to deal with the hospitals and, um, and getting money into people's hands, not only because they were suffering and there are 40 million people currently unemployed. And actually that number is much higher. I mean, they're, they're, they're probably another 10 million that even stopped looking and said, don't get, don't get counted. Um, well, the Democrats said, okay, we're gonna go, we're gonna go with this package. Um, I think that, that um, at one time they were talking about, they and the administration were talking about not only another um, stimulus package, but also an infrastructure bill. I don't think that's going to happen now. There's certainly not the infrastructure bill. And what McConnell, with the, with the Senate minority, or majority leader, uh, Mitch McConnell, is doing now is saying, well, you know, maybe we will probably need another piece of legislation, another stimulus bill, but we can wait, afford to wait another month or six weeks or whatever, and, and we'll see what happens. Now, now, time is not on anybody's side in any of this. I mean, not only is it not on anybody's side as far as the pandemic and getting the economy back in shape, but the fact of the matter is that, I mean, we're getting, I mean, we're less than six months away from an election, um, a national election that is going to be what I think um, turns out to be a crossroads for the nation, <clears throat> excuse me. Where do we end up? Well, that's a good question. And and clearly the pandemic has made a, a difference. The, the economic situation has made a difference. Um, how does this turn out? Well, we'll see. And I think that a couple of the positive signs, actually, let me go back for one second. I think what's gonna happen is that there will be another stimulus bill. There's not gonna be enough heart to hold that up because of green provisions, and mm -hmm. which is unfortunate. I mean, the, yeah. you look at, compare this to the European Union, which has just created, a, you know, a, a proposed um, pandemic stimulus recovery plan, and it's loaded with green initiatives. Um, we are not doing that. I mean, so right now, what's happening is that it's industry um, that's really doing what needs to be done. States, the state capacity to do this is being hampered significantly by the pandemic because of the emergency um, pressures that are being put on state budgets um, and their inability to do certain things. For example, New York um, has basically scrapped its uh, program that would have created a statewide infrastructure for electric vehicle recharging. Um, they just can't do that anymore. They don't, they do not have the money. Now, one of the things that Democrats, I mean, are, it's one of the reasons the Democrats are pushing um, for the next stimulus package to really be focused on state and local budgets um, is because of the of the drag on these budgets for the for the state and local governments to even do minimally what's necessary to just service their their communities, let alone to go those extra steps and deal with um, renewables and things that are not currently uh, up and running or that, that will need some kind of supplemental tick, if you will. And um, I think the other thing that's gonna happen is that there is not gonna be an extension of the uh, solar and wind credits, um, or at least the, the odds of that has gone down significantly. Now, what the administration has done, um, the Treasury Department has indicated that, uh, that projects can go on for, need to be, can be started um, in an extra year period as, as compared to what they were. I think they, um, they added a year on to the end, which, which, which allows companies to actually begin projects or to complete projects um, with a little bit of slack in time. 
but that doesn't mean that there's going to be an extension of the credits. And I think that that would create that requires a uh, an act of Congress, whereas the the additional uh, time um, is actually a Treasury Department issue of, as far as uh, regulations are concerned. And the same thing that the the administration is finally coming out with regulations on the tax side uh, for carbon capture. So what's going to happen is that there's going to be kind of a completion, if you will, of things on the table and a stimulus thing. And then we're into June, July, the, the conventions begin um, and the, the campaigning for office, not only for president, um, but for House and Senate is just going to take on full bore. Um, now, compared to six months ago, um, I think the odds are much better that the Democrats have a chance. Um, and taking the Senate as well as maintaining uh, their majority in the House. In the Senate, um, depending on who's elected president, um, the Democrats need to flip. They need to maintain the number of seats that they have now in the Senate, and they need to be able to add to that by three if um, Biden wins because the vice president then becomes the deciding vote in the Senate for any ties, or four um, if Trump is still elected. Um, it's, I will admit, and I mean, anybody that knows me and has read anything about me or from, or the stuff that I've, that I've written is, you know, I do tend to be liberal, moderate, liberal, and progressive, depending on the issues. And I make no bones about that. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as the party is concerned, I'm an independent. I have in fact voted for Republicans before, and I've worked, um, in Republican administrations, okay, as a special advisor at the Department of Energy. But the fact of the matter is that under the current circumstances, if the Democrats can't take the White House and the Congress, then we're going to be in trouble as far as national energy policy is concerned. And the United States is just simply not going to be up to the task um, as long as Trump is in the White House. And we're going to lose ground to every other developed and developing country in the world. because most of them are actually moving on into uh, a renewables world, if you will. Um, and, I, and I think that that what happened prior to the pandemic was that climate was at the top of voter concerns. I, mm-hmm. Now, granted, most of these concerns were were democratic, but they were strong. I mean, and not only I mean, not only in in um, uh, you know a, a state like um, uh, like New York. Um, but in, a, in, in, in Iowa, in New Hampshire, in mm-hmm. South Carolina. Um, and so, I mean, this was, this was um, unprecedented. I mean, in, in prior years, you know, the, the surveys always showed that, yeah, well, we're in favor of doing something about climate change. And I mean, but it was like asking somebody if they liked apple pie. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. well, we do. I mean, the, the real answer, I mean, the answer that they expected the, the, the surveyor to want was that, but it was, you know, they were in favor of it. But the fact of the matter is that it never really actually became a voter priority. Um, it was, it was, uh, it was so far down the list that it just didn't matter. Okay. And, and we saw in 2016 that, that the candidates themselves, which talked about climate maybe three or four times in the entire campaign season. Um, mm-hmm. Now that's not true. And the fact of the matter is that that another positive that's going on and one that I'm frankly surprised by is the fact that there 
the progressives and the moderates in the Democratic Party are coming to some basic agreements um, under the under the, the the banner of Biden. That that I mean that the the issue is becoming clearer in everybody's minds that you know that if the Democrats do not prevail, if Biden does not prevail, then climate is not going to be paid attention to. And I think people understand that the pandemic that we've been experiencing as far as the coronavirus is concerned is no different in kind than uh, the the existential threat of climate change and we're seeing we're seeing visible signs of this i mean i just read that um one of the islands off of uh, just outside of new orleans by about 80 miles i think um mm-hmm. is now is so inundated by rising ocean waters that that the the government is actually building a new community for these people because they can no longer um, reside on the on 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 the island, and there mm-hmm. there are all sorts of places like this that's going to happen, including major cities. I mean, people are recognizing that in fact there are signs of uh, of the existential threat that that could do to the nation what the pandemic has done, um, perhaps in a different way and a little bit slower. But the fact of the matter is that that people are becoming more believers in this whole thing. The other positive I see in this is the fact that um, in 2016, Sanders supporters not only didn't show up at the polls in in sufficient numbers, 12% of them actually cast their ballot for Trump. Okay, now 12% doesn't sound like a lot, except for the fact that it's geographically focused. And the same thing is going to happen in 2020 that happened in 2016, that there are going to be several states, um, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Michigan, um, that can make a difference. And in those three states, there were the, the because it's a winner take all as far as the electoral college is concerned, the, those three states, 100,000 votes in total made a difference in this case. Now, now I don't know, um, and I think nobody really knows what the pandemic and how voter turnout's gonna come out in November, but there's certainly signs that people are going to vote no matter how they get to the polls. I and mean, we saw that in Wisconsin. People risked getting sick by standing in for hours in lines in, in, in basically what, you know, what, what was a primary. Um, and it's one of the reasons that Trump is going you know, bonkers about mail-in ballots and stuff like this. It's, I mean, I think that what he thinks and... and in some ways, history has kind of borne him out on this, that the higher number, the, the greater the turnout, the better the chances for the Democrats. Um, mm-hmm. And so there's going to be pressure, you know, to keep people away from the polls. Now, right. um, I'm hoping and, and praying like everybody else that, you know, that no matter what he does, it's going to happen. And, you know, I, I lived for a while in Nicaragua. I know what happens when governments suppress voters. I mean, it's just... It's it's a horrible situation, and it usually favors um, the dictator, if you want mm-hmm. to know, yeah. for, for, the, for the obvious reasons. And, you know, maybe people aren't going to be roughed up here the way they were in Nicaragua. But the fact of the matter is that if people think that there's no, you know, that their vote doesn't really count, they're not going to show up at the polls. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we'll see what happens. But I think I think um, that. The, the, the threat in this country, the threat, not the threat, the threat mm-hmm. in this country is strong enough that people understand the importance 
of this election. And one of the other things that I'm, that I, that I'm encouraged by is something called the Lincoln Project, which is, it, it, it's a bunch of Republican swampers, I, I mean, you know, including Kelly Conway's husband, um, who have been Republicans. I mean, they're, they're, and I can, I mean, truth be told, I'm a swamper too, okay? I mean, I, hmm. I make my, I make my living in Washington and I deal with politicians and, and policy. And so in that regard, I'm no different than anybody else that, that does that. But these guys, what these guys, men and women are doing is saying, look, we cannot let the Republican Party devolve into the Trumplican Party. Okay. So they're putting out, I mean, these people are putting out ads, um, one of which they did a, uh, a 30 or 60 second. Um, uh, piece on in selected TV areas in in, in uh, pivotal states. It's called Morning Morning in America. M O U R N I N G. And what what they're doing is they're trying to take back the Republican Party. Now Trump has gone off. I mean, you can imagine what the President Trump has has to say about this. And, right. And, and of course, he he did his usual thing, and. The day that he, the first day that he did that, within 24 hours, this group raised a million bucks um, to do more of these things. And I think what's happening is that, uh, at least I hope what's happening, and whether the Democrats win or not, that what 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 needs and what what it should happen, what needs to happen, what I hope will happen in the election is that those who are elected understand the importance that of dialectic of dialogue in governance that i mean you cannot have what's going on continue to go on and it becomes even more important because trump's biggest legacy is going to be the number of judges he's put on the federal bench um i mean the number is now around 200 um now that's compared to some 750 total judges in the federal system and of course he's got the the Supreme Court in a way that he's, he's picked two. Um, mm-hmm. And the swing vote now has become the Chief Justice of the United States, Roberts. Now, Roberts is a, basically a strict constructionist. I mean, he, he is a conservative jurist. But the fact of the matter is that in a recent decision, um, he was a swing vote in declaring the California rule that said you, churches just cannot have, you know, full bore um, services because of the pandemic. And this was a case where the, where Robert's opinion basically said, you know, the facts are the facts. The, the, I mean, the science is that you, that people are going to get a, a very communicable disease. You put people for a long period of time um, in close proximity. That's a problem. And the issue is really not for the, for the courts. It's for the elected leaders. Now that could transfer and should transfer um, at least in concept as far as climate change is concerned, that, you know, that, that science is science. And, you know, the courts have, are, have been a last resort for a while, um, but only because the, legislat- the legislative and executive branches of the government have not really been doing what needs to be done. I mean, they, they, there's gridlock. Um, I mean, on one hand, they don't do really bad things, but on the other hand, nothing else gets done either. So that's a problem. Um, and I think the other thing that's going to be a problem, and I hope this is going to be solved by this election is that voters are going to again put climate at the top of their list. And in a way that Biden is coming out, I mean, in, in the fact that we've got progressives and moderates 
um, talking about climate policy under the under Biden's manner um, has become really important because I think the thing that we have to avoid doing is going back to an Obama um, climate plan. And I, you know, there's a lot of talk about you know Obama certainly understood what climate change was. He understood the science. He, and he put people in and did certain things. But the fact is, it was never really much of a priority with him until way late in his administration. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's a problem. And so now, I mean, Biden at least is not saying, well, you know, we're going to be, we're going to bring back the Obama era. And that means he's going to have some fights on his hands as well. Because certain members of the Obama administration, uh, the Energy Secretary Ernie Moniz, um, in particular, has put together what's called an Energy Futures Initiative, um, which is something that the AFL-CIO, Big Labor, is, is bought onto. The problem with it is that it, it's still an all-of-the-above kind of approach. And the fact of the matter is that we can't have that all-of-the-above, not if it includes fossil fuels. Uh, nuclear, mm -hmm. I'm going to put to the side because that's another issue. If we're talking about all-of-the-above on renewables, and efficiency and everything else, that's great. But the fact of the matter is that, that we are at, again, a crossroads. And voters, if, if this becomes enough of an issue, and a lot of this has to do with all of us, I mean, activists, anybody that has any kind of an interest cannot stand on the sideline. They have to get in the game. And not only do they have to be in the game, they have to drag their brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers into the game as well, because this is this is this is it, folks. I mean, what happens is that under the best of circumstances, um, and I guess this is kind of the worst of times sort of thing, but not, <laughs> but, but 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 not an unhopeful time. But right. the worst of times is the best thing that will happen is that say Biden gets elected and the Democrats take Congress. Well, you know, before and I mean, the first thing he'll do is he'll undo the executive orders of Trump, which is great, you know, but anything positive, anything substantive, anything substantially substantive is not going to be able to be implemented, even if the decisions are made immediately for at least a year and a half into his administration. I mean, what happens is that, that he's got to put an administration together. Then Congress has to come up with, you know, their, their plans and they have, they have some plans. I mean, the, the energy and commerce committee, Democrats on the Energy Commerce Committee in the House have actually created a 640-page document that it kind of reflects it reflects the breadth of the Green New Deal without being the Green New Deal. But the fact of the matter is that this all has to kind of be worked through, and Congress has to enact something. They have to appropriate funds. They have to authorize funds. Regulations have to be made, and then we're going to get into courts again too because the 25% that still hold on to the belief that coal somehow is a good idea are going to sue. But the fact of the matter is that, I mean, that, that, that these, that even a major shift, especially a major shift, I guess, is going to take time. Um, and how much time? Well, I don't know, 12 months, 18 months, four years. And we know the time is not our friend on this. So that, so that like I said, everything is it's kind of pointing to November. And as you said, there, you know, there's a lot going on that's good in, in the private sector and in other countries. But the fact of the matter is that whether it's this country or the EU or the UK, the private sector can't do this on its own. It just, mm -hmm. it's got to have government involved and it has to have some kind of, 
targets and guideposts and, and, and incentives, I mean, tax incentives, it, it, needs, it needs government involvement. I mean, it, that's the only way this is going to happen. Um, and so this is where we are. And I think that, like I said, like you said, there's a lot positive going on. There's a lot negative going on as well. And I think that, you know, the, the, I always am hopeful that, that, you know, the future will be bright. To be honest with you, when I, when I first started in this business 40 years ago, um, I had, you know, I talked about stuff happening. Today it's happening. And I, I admit to the fact that it surprises me. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, it is true. Um, and so we've come a really long way. But we've got a long way to go yet, and we have to we have to kick it into a higher gear, and that's not going to happen unless things change um, at the ballot box, and not only at the federal level, but at the state and local level as well. So, yeah. um, are you glad you wound me up? <laughs> well, you know what you say about the public-private um, investment. You know that that partnership is so important, and and in the green finance you know community they're all about public private it, there's no other way to do it um and that just it it just makes me think about what happened yesterday when we had this public and private uh, venture that sent some astronauts up right. to the space station for the first time off of american soil in almost a decade and without that partnership it would continue to have not happened so it's you know and they're they're touting it as this you know great new new age for space exploration but it's a good example for everybody else to look at what what we can do when we get that combination right you're exactly right and um and both uh, both sides are needed that's i mean there's just no getting around it um yep. and when they work together great things can happen and do happen yeah and so what's what's coming up on on your radar? Well, uh, I'm going to be talking more about this. I just I just did a piece on um, it kind of sums up some of the things that I was ranting about um, over the last half hour or so. That's mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. called trend spotting. I'm also going to be I'm working on a piece now um, that also kind of focuses on focuses in on um, Trump's judicial appointments um, and the the. the the thing that started me on that is that Lindsey Graham, um, Senator Lindsey Graham, announced or, or asked in public that all judges over the age of 60, please resign so that Republicans can fill those slots. And, um, I, you know, I think it, it, it's really important for people to understand um, the impact that the Trump administration um, has had on the judicial system and, and the the importance that then comes to the executive and legislative branches um, for being able to to enact legislation, major legislation. That's the other thing I want to focus on is that, you know, people talk about, well, we should do this, we should do this, we should do that. There's a lot of there's there's the foundational legislation, Clean Air Act, Clean Water Act. These things were passed in the 1970s. They were passed in, in Nixon's administration. Um, now, those are still the bedrock of U.S. policy, but we could speed things up and avoid a lot of litigiousness um, if some of these laws, the basic foundational laws, were amended. Um, so, for example, that the, the um, uh, endangerment finding that you know, was made by the, 
the Obama administration, which still is getting argued in court, um, mm -hmm. can actually be codified within the Clean Water Act and the Clean Air Act. I mean, so that it's just, it is presumptive, um, mm -hmm. and which cuts down some of the, the, the number of court cases. Because I think that's the other thing that, that we have to kind of look at is, you know, an administration, a new administration can come in and what's going to happen is that their, their actions are going to be challenged in court and, and that just delays things more and more. So I want to I want to spend uh, at least a couple of weeks on focusing in on some of these um, linchpin pieces of legislation that, that should be looked at um, and base that on the fact that, you know, if you don't do that, then not only we're going to be dragged into the courts, but we're going to be dragged into the courts that potentially are significantly more conservative um, than the ones that we've been um, pleading the cases in front of. And you have to remember, federal, federal judges are appointed for a lifetime. Um, and Trump's, I mean, Trump is appointing judges in their 40s and early 50s. Mm. He's tried a couple of cases in late 30s. Um, and I mean, they're just being railroaded. I mean, the, the, the Democrats have no chance of stopping this um, on the Senate side. Um, then I'll be turning on to um, how the various um, factions within the Democratic Party um, are kind of addressing, not kind of, but are addressing, um, in fact, the, the, the energy policy that the uh, Biden administration uh, will try to implement. Um, mm -hmm. And we'll see what happens. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, it's, uh, there's always something to write about, um, and I'm hoping that uh, as time goes on, we'll be able to write about much more positive things. <laughs> well, I look forward that to, to that potential. Uh, you know, as for myself, I'm just going to be laser focused on the messaging that is going to come from our candidates as we, you know, go headlong into this November election. I mean, at, at this point, without the pandemic, I would uh, I would have expected very loud messaging on climate and you know of course it is completely dulled by what's going right. on so i i i need to see that ramp back up hopefully as you know these economies in our states start opening up you know that messaging can start getting through so that's what i'm going to be looking for and we'll see what happens we will indeed and hopefully yes. we'll be we'll, we'll be back talking about it <laughs> okay well uh thank you of course for chatting with me today I appreciate the opportunity and, uh, you know, let's go, let's go forth and all do good things. Yes, exactly. All right. And thank you everyone for listening. Uh, you can tweet questions or comments to hashtag zero net 50 and have a great day.